0: There is a lot of talk these days about straight white men. Very little of it is being done by straight white men. This makes sense to me in some ways because God knows they've taken up a lot of space in the past and God knows they haven't historically had a huge amount of insight into themselves or their actions. But surely if we want to understand them and beyond this sort of baseline conversation of what is wrong with you people and why are you like this then we're going to have to talk to them. It's just finding the right one, so let's not go ask the neo-Nazi in Charlottesville in the way that if you wanted to know what was going on with murderers, it wouldn't necessarily help you to go ask a serial killer. Which is not to say that some neo-Nazi doesn't have a valid experience and a valid emotional reality, but if he is a neo-Nazi, maybe that's enough proof that he doesn't have a particularly good insight into those experiences. Okay, here I am maybe just subtweeting feminist writer Laurie Penny, who went and hung out with a bunch of neo-Nazis, and was surprised that they had concerns and feelings and seemed like, you know, really good guys, deep down. You need someone outside of the paradigm. Anyway, we talk a lot about straight white men, but we're not saying anything, not really. And yet we can't pretend that this is a monolithic demographic. Because that's what they've been saying for centuries, as a way of controlling power, and we can't buy into that lie. See, now I'm doing it, talking about men like they are the enemy, or the other. It's an easy trap to fall into. We talk about the female experience, and the gay experience, and the Muslim immigrant experience, but we forget that there is a white male experience outside of the conversation about privilege and power. I think it's pretty clear at this point that this is an experience we need insight into. This is the first part of a series, and when I thought about doing this, I knew I wanted to talk to Zach Mucha, a writer and social worker and therapist, and my friend of many years. He recently wrote a beautiful and helpful book, Emotional Abuse, a Manual for Self-Defense, and he has been writing beautifully about masculinity, bullying, life in Chicago, and so on for years. Like I said, this is the first in a series, and the next installment will appear in a few weeks' time. But for now, let's talk to Zach about straight white men. So before we have this conversation, I would like to talk a little bit about how impossible it is to have this conversation because the dominant voice around masculinity are people like Gamergators and the alt-right. And sure. when I said that I wanted to do an episode about straight white men, I got a lot of volunteers, and I was immediately deeply suspicious of every man who wanted to volunteer to speak on the straight white male experience and what their intentions were. Um, do you find it difficult to, to talk about these issues as well? You know,
1: it's, it's something I've been playing with in my own head a lot because, as you know, I'm a therapist and I work with a lot of guys. And there's just such terror, just internally, over you know, being a man and not being, you know, literally, I mean, pun intended, not measuring up to the idea of masculinity. Whatever that idea has been for each individual guy, what group, what models he you has know, is, is, had presented to him. And, and I know I just said, I don't want to get personal, but okay, I will. <laughs> and it's, it's such, I, I grew up pretty working class with a very limited idea of what masculinity was. And the job I have now as a therapist is, you know, go back to the playground vocabulary I was raised with. It's a pretty faggy job, you know? I've done a lot of manual labor. Well, and, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah. I, I worked very hard to be a writer and that's pretty much gone away a strange double bind that I was trying to deal with. How do I do what I want to do and still be seen as masculine, which is something a lot of guys are really dealing with. I...
0: And you, ta- so you said that there's these ideas of masculinity that people feel like they're having to live up to. So are there common sources of where these ideas come from? Does it tend to be disparate? Do the ideas of masculinity cohere into anything? Or is does everybody have their own sort of strange idea?
1: I I think there's sort of a general consensus, but it gets split off into so many subcategories of whatever filters we're all, all or each raised with. It was fascinating, just coincidentally, I was reading Winnicott yesterday And in a book very much about mother and baby bond and it was all about mothers but there's just one little paragraph in the beginning where he was talking about you know dictatorships and <laughs> groups and violence against women and he said yes yes we could all we could he sounded almost bored saying yes this is about men's fear of women but beneath that what is it and it's he says that it's fear of dependence fear of you know, and this is me adding to him saying fear of dependence but the fear of not being in control not being able to have whatever power agency whatever word you want to use and it really goes back to I do you know, do you know what the still face experiment is no it, it's this really horrible thing I saw years ago in some training. It was a black and white film of an experiment they were doing with a mother and an infant. And you can see in the first clip, mother and infant, there's a camera on mom, camera on the baby, camera on both of them. And they're having a nice, really nice baby talk conversation. You know, mom coos and giggles, waves her hand, baby coos and giggles, waves his hands. And I'm just going to make the baby male here. I, I don't know what it was. And you see the affect, the feeling going back and forth. And this this is a wonderful example of that bond between the mother and baby. And this is where empathy is built. The baby starts learning. Wow, how I feel can be reflected in that person and sent back to me. I actually have some power in the world. I can influence this person who's really a god and I'm dependent on them for everything. I'm totally dependent on them. And this is obviously all before we have words. Next clip, same mother, same baby. Baby coos and giggles, and there's no response from mom. And she's literally standing like a statue. And you can see the baby break eye contact, sort of bring his hands down, gather himself, take a breath, and try again. And he keeps trying. And each time there's no response, he gets more agitated. And until so at the end, he's literally looking at his own hands and grabbing them, and, like, looking at them and asking, why is this not working? And in this is really, you know, sort of the seed, the root of anxiety, as well as the root of a total lack of empathy. The lack of empathy happens much, much less frequently. but us as humans we will to protect that relationship where we are totally dependent we will say something's wrong here in this connection i'm not getting something i'm not getting what i want or need it must be my fault i must be lacking i must not be worthy And i say all this not to blame mom mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna bring it back to <laughs> everything, I make everything that in
0: psychology is it's the mother's fault it's the mother's fault <laughs>
1: Cer- certainly certainly <laughs> But it, but it it is, the question is, what do we do when we feel that gap, that distance, that lack, where we're not getting what we want? And this is something we have throughout our lives. The question is, how do we respond to it? And the problem is, how men respond to it is with threats of violence. Often, and not for nothing, in the past two days, there's been... Two GOP congressmen who made very passive threats of physical violence against a female congressperson. I don't know if you caught this. No. One said, one slob of a human said, <laughs> said if she were a man, I'd take her outside, I'd challenge her to a duel. Okay. And another one last night said something about, I don't know, some southern colloquialism about, you know, she needs someone to take a switch to her, put a knot in her ass. I mean, really violent and sexual also.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I, I was really stunned to hear this, but it's very much this sort of male idea of if I don't get what I want, I could threaten violence this is. Uh, what's really scary right now, I mean, Trump, okay, there's this, nothing I can say about him that hasn't been said ad, naud- ad nauseum. but it really is a litmus test as to, for us as individuals and just as a culture. I mean, who's going to oppose and who's going to adopt? Right. This, this might makes right.
0: I mean, you talked about the the terror of um, of not of of not living up to this sort of expectation, and so is violence a way of managing feelings of terror?
1: I think I think it is because the terror is abstract, and you know, we're not, especially men, we are not socialized to acknowledge that everything is. You know, physically, you know, feel that abstract threat, that anxiety. I, I, I've spoken to a lot of guys, clinically or not, who, as a response to that, start stockpiling arsenals. Mm-hmm. There's a threat from somewhere; they're not sure what it is. I mean, it's really the same construction we see with conspiracy theories or delusions, stalkers. You know. There's, I'm feeling some lack. I have to control this woman. That's, you know, the stalker. Whether it's about a specific person who's actually in that individual's life or sort of a general other who's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. I, not for nothing, Catcher in the Rye, not for nothing is to eat, pray, love for erotomanic celebrity stalkers. <laughs>
0: Um, In the past, these kind of delusions that show up and this way of managing feelings of hopelessness and despair. So you sort of have to create this delusion in order to survive a marginalized experience, this delusion that you are somehow special. Um, How do you how do you work with somebody who's in this delusion of power? and without making them, without I guess causing a total collapse into um, meaninglessness and and disempowerment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how do how do you do it without further shaming the person? Because yeah. so much of male teaching is about shaming, and a lot of fathers' teaching is about shaming. And if yeah, you know, it's really looking at you know, and, and trying to find a safe way to. look at our own selves what do I want what do I want to be because beneath that is the other side and I'm stealing a Zizek quote which I'm not going
0: to how dare you
1: (laughs) I know I know
0: how dare you bring him into this conversation
1: (laughs) (laughs) this this is the one bit of sense I could find it (laughs) but the question of what do I want beneath that is the question of what do they want for Meet, what are the expectations i have to meet and, and because so many young men are really terrorized by the idea of you know do i do i measure up to my father
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: does my father prove because I mean, that, that is you know the model of masculinity whether you know we love him or hate him it's it's something to measure against it's it's like, you know, the pop culture image of mobsters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the Italian mobsters get all the press and accolades and all the attention. The Jewish mobsters before them were just as vicious and violent. But the real difference was the Jewish mobsters said, they said we're doing this so our sons don't have to. We want them to be better than us. The Italian mobsters, it was very much all about, I want my boy to be just like me. Mm-hmm. The unspoken part of that, sort of paralleling the Zizek quote, if I'm saying, I want my boy to be just like me, the unspoken part is, he's not going to be any better than me. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's the father passing along that anxiety, that gap to the son. It just keeps you know, restricting the idea of masculinity, so it becomes literally a plank to walk.
0: And then, what if the father is not necessarily a person, but an absence? Then, what is the 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 debt?
1: Sure, sure. I there's all sorts of absences. I don't know to for someone to say I don't know what a man is like. I don't know what it is to be a man. And we we look if we're lucky, we'll get different fathers throughout life. And different models to, you know, take something from and move on, which is very hard to do. And it's very unsatisfying thing to do because we keep seeing that lack and we're never sure. But sure, it's it's an awful lack to have. What is the model I should follow? who, who should I emulate? I think we have plenty of evidence of what happens without any models around.
0: Yeah, I was reading um, Hans Magnus uh, Ensensberger, and he was writing about how, uh, I mean sort of going back to the conversation about violence, um, he wrote that basically the patriarchy has stopped being about gender and the proof of that um, that patriarchy is essentially a hierarchy, but it, it, it doesn't really have it's not necessarily about gender anymore and the proof of that is in the sort of self-destructiveness of a lot of um men these days uh as seen in the in the sort of mass shootings and the suicide bombings and, and that sort of thing um because the patriarchy in order to support itself needed aggression and so nurtured aggression out of its men but directed it at something um, but now the patriarchy, in, in a sort of crumbling form, no longer directs that energy, and so, men, but it still nurtures it. So it's just sort of built up and has no place to go. Sure, sure. Yeah.
1: It, it's there is sure that that patriarchy, that masculinity, can't. I think it does very much get played out in you know yeah. the imagined martyrdom of mass murder. You know, Elliot Rogers, the kid, right? He was gonna hurt as many women as possible because they rejected him. You know, uh, Murakami uh, interviewed a bunch of people involved in the sarin gas attacks in Japan, which is, his interviews with the salary men were so horribly boring because it was like, you know, it's like studying different ways humans blink. But, but there is one interview with one of the uh, cult members who set off the gas bombs. And he said, after high school I decided I was going to be a writer. Uh, if I couldn't do that, and I'm paraphrasing, if I couldn't do that I was going to renounce the whole world. <laughs> and there is something about this sense of martyrdom. And I was just reading some other book about... Uh, I think some analytic book by Richard Konigsberg, maybe, where he's talking about World War I. The most masculine thing any army could do was to stand up from the trench and walk across no man's land into machine gun fire. To, kill, to have thousands of men killed in a day was a show of vitality, a show of patriotism, a show of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And that is something that has been carried over.
0: Yeah, it was uh, there was some there was some there was some guy guy on Twitter, you know, how that goes, um, sure. who was uh you know, watched Dunkirk, the the latest movie sort of celebrating men doing man things. Um, <laughs> and pretending like women didn't exist in that space at all, right? It's sure. just like no, it's just just men. It was just it was just men doing doing these man things. Um but uh you know, the the guy came out of the movie and he was tweeting about how he feels so ashamed of how soft his generation is because World War II was so noble. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it just seems like, um, well, A, that means he has to ignore um, the Dakota Access Pipeline um, protests and the men that are there and the men that are in Ferguson and the women that are in Ferguson and, and at the Dakota. Um, but that World War II, World War I, dominant idea of this is sort of like peak masculinity Mm -hmm. is such a dominant fantasy. I don't understand how the fact of um, shell shock, how the fact of uh, horrific uh, war crimes on the side of the allies, uh, all these things don't enter into the conversation. It really is just, um, it has a hold on our imagination of this is what manhood is that that idea of the greatest generation is such bullshit and yet it's it's unmovable
1: yes yes and and the first thing this guy felt was shame that he did not measure up to this fantasy of you know humans who could go through this and not be affected by it which is you know a big part of you know the male mythology and pop culture stuff. Bruce Willis could joke and you know have a cigarette while he's you know jumping off a building and shooting people, or you know Batman gets traumatized and the worst thing that happens to him is he grows a beard. You know, yeah,
0: he's super but, sad a little bit. You know, though. yeah, yeah.
1: The male the male trauma beard,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> which you and I should just trademark now and sue yes. every movie that comes out.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, these conversations about um, how masculinity is now in crisis um, really kind of ignores the fact that masculinity has always been in crisis. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that comes down to so much of masculinity is built into what you do and have. Um, mm-hmm. And so much of femininity Is just about being So in yeah. some way femininity is seen As much more stable and masculinity Is something that has to be done Or achieved um, yes. Is there any way of getting around Of getting around that
1: The, the one thing I, I, I do see in Working with people is Sort of accepting And normalizing all right, This anxiety This terror that we have from the time we, before we even have words, accepting that as normal and human and something protective that we have to pay attention to, accepting that as, you know, an aspect of masculinity rather than the idea that, you know, as a man I should be able to walk through the world without being affected internally, hurt by anything. You know, because that, that is part of the teaching, that you know, as soon as you acknowledge something hurts, you're, you're really not masculine. It's, yeah, and, and, you know, it's such a delicate thing to do because, you know, even going to therapy is not a masculine thing. Right.
0: Yeah, do you feel like some, some of your patients have shame for even being there?
1: Oh, certainly. Certainly. I, it's a, a lot of guys, you know, you know, the opening gambit is, I don't know why I'm here. Mm. I said, okay, well, why does your wife think you should be in therapy? And that, that's the point we have to start, but okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we have to talk about feminism and the role of women in men's lives. Um, you know, I think a lot of the sort of anti-feminist nature of contemporary masculinity, as sort of evidenced by the you know the GamerGate and the and the alt-right uh, wing part of it, mm-hmm. um, was comes from like this second wave um, insistence on showing men for who they are, meaning that um, a lot of it was borrowed strength so you have this sort of ideal of masculinity the father figure and the um you know who achieves and does and and provides but he doesn't um uh he's not an independent figure he doesn't actually necessarily exist without the wife doing a lot of this stuff for him and trying to reveal that mechanism and and show the kind of illusion of masculinity instead of um men sort of catching on to that and uh realizing that ma- that this idea of masculinity is in fact an illusion. They kind of just started hating women for for saying these things and pointing it out. And it became this real backlash to feminism, I feel like.
1: Sure, sure. It's it, it felt like a weakness was being pointed out. And it's you know probably not the best way to you know find allies. And and I'm not blaming the feminists for pointing it out. I mean, it, it is a real lack in the image of, you know, the self image of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not sure. It's It's like, all right, how do we talk to, how does, you know, a leftist person talk to a Trump supporter? Mm-hmm. You can't, the opening statement can't be, you're a dumbass for voting for <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then, how does a feminist open a conversation with um, a, a Gamergate or a uh, alt right or?
1: You know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure because I don't know if it's is it the feminist's responsibility to pull these guys over, or is right. it? I, I, I don't know if it is. And why aren't more men trying to tell the alt-right, the proud boys, all that stuff, which is just so bizarrely homoerotic mm-hmm. for all these guys who, you know, uh, they would not want that to be part of their masculinity, mm-hmm. most of them. and why why is it up to women to, you know, Talk sense into these guys and have them see, and and I think it might be too scary for guys to hear from women. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys, and clearly I'm talking in gross generalities. Right. Yeah. But I just lost my thoughts. So if you have something, (laughs) please do.
0: do? Oh well, then why aren't men doing this work? Uh, And I I do feel like part of the reason why men aren't doing this work is because there's so little cultural space for it and so little patience for it. Mm -hmm. I do do feel like um, when people do start to try to have a conversation, there is a kind of immediate shutdown response from women's culture of um, about privilege, about um, whiteness, about, you know, there's a real intolerance and impatience for this conversation from um from women but and yet it's an essential conversation to have if if anything is ever going to get better
1: sure sure And, and i think you know on you know the masculine side of this you know why isn't one side reaching out to talk to the other i think there's first the you know always present threat of you know of a guy being called less than masculine for trying to have this conversation, you know, you bag, you pussy, all the playground stuff, and and there there's also I think and this might be totally you know my own filter, but I think there's very much a class issue in this. It's you know to try to talk to you know the alt right, Trump supporters. Yeah, you know, the, the immediate, you know, counter-charges, oh, it's, it's, you're just part of the elite. You know, you don't understand, you know, the class issues involved here. And, and there's a, I think there's a real difference between working class masculinity and middle class masculinity. Very different measures and markers of what's acceptable.
0: right i mean i was talking with a a a straight white man last night um and you know he he was joking about he wants we you know it was at some terrible cocktail bar and watching men and women interact in cocktail bars is really it's really not good for your heart or soul or any 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 body part really um but uh he said he jokingly said he wanted to write a book about how men should behave in public uh to help them because it seems like there's so few um uh sources on how to be dignified how to approach women in a non-creepy way how you know all these sorts of things but he said if i did that i would have to uh do it under a pseudonym because otherwise somebody would be on twitter saying i saw that guy being a creep at a party one time so you know um it's it's Funny that there's this sort of Higher expectation for um, Purity I guess Um, Whenever you start Talking about these issues uh, Your past gets dragged out In front of you on social media
1: Okay sure I think the fear of that threat is really Really important too It's To go back almost to where we started Just the idea of you know needing and wanting you know power to define things mm-hmm. and define just define ourselves and it's s- such a thing that's being abused right now I literally every day we're seeing you know, people in charge declaring my feelings are fact mm-hmm. and unable to differentiate between the two you know not even being interested in and anyone who tries to point that out, you know, it's, they get demeaned diminished. But okay, it's, it's the idea that you know, this person you're talking to was scared of being attacked if he tried to just talk about how to be a righteous human. Yes. <laughs> yes. And okay, it's very much the part of our culture that just fuels the idea that might makes right I'm, it's gained so much ground. I hope the person you're talking to is serious and they want to do this. Me it's too. A, it's a needed book,
0: but it was two margaritas into the evening, so who even knows? You know. Yeah. I'll... Yeah. Um, so, are there other sources for for other ideas of what masculinity is? You know, I feel like even in the in the sense of um how men dress i feel like uh men straight men you know once queer culture became much more visible and and acceptable and assimilated they would look over there and be like i can i can also wear gold lame and feathers and whatever um and yet i don't know like it feels like everything um is sort of narrowing down somehow rather than expanding for masculinity. Like it seems to be, I don't know if maybe the sort of growing visibility of queer culture has become like this, um, uh, this other thing. Um, there seems like it used to be much more um, uh, variety in ideas of how a men could, man could be. But in popular culture, now it's just superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it used to be, you know, we used to have Cary Grant. We used to have, um, uh, uh, you know, David Bowie. Now it's just, um, now it's just Captain America, endlessly. Sure,
1: sure, and that, that's yeah. sure. The it's the the fashion stuff about dress. I I, I have I'm of no use with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you're not but, you're not the most flamboyant man I've ever met. That's true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Usually I wear all gray, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, those definitions have gotten so narrow and and, and impossible. I, I, yeah, the choices are between Captain America, Thor, and, you know, Batman. Yeah. And and guys are outraged that Wonder Woman has a movie. Yes. Which actually was a pretty, uh, not pretty cool, it was a good movie. All
0: I right. Enjoyed. Well, we'll yeah. disagree with, about Wonder Woman <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> what did you like about it?
0: Uh I feel like it was it if the gender had been reversed, uh, it would have been the same movie. Uh it felt like uh women holding a masculine space in a film is not is not progress. I think it's okay. just this sort of um veering toward this embrace of uh violence and aggression uh and turning that into sort of a, a feminine value uh, rather than, you know, empathy or uh, community or <laughs> sure. anything that I would rather see on the screen than somebody like hitting somebody over the head with a stick. Um, okay.
1: okay. See, yeah. I, and this, and this is totally my, you know, masculine blind spot because I was getting choked up when she was being taught how to fight. I was like, oh, yeah, God. It's like, yep, that's that's what a true parent is supposed to
0: do. <laughs> no, no, they're I not. I they're not supposed to do that at all. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I could talk about Wonder Woman for a really long time, but I'm not going to. But you know, also the bosom's out, and it's like, oh, she can be she can be strong, but she has to be super hot. And there's the fact that the the actress was in the um, IDF and. Um, Participated in campaigns that killed Gaza children and and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, no, I have a lot of issues with that movie. So a lot of unresolved issues with that movie. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Um. So, in your role as a therapist, how do you how do you sort of um, what's the how do you progress these ideas? Like, what's the do you have a goal in mind? I mean, not you know for everybody, but. Um, what does healing look like with these fractured ideas of masculinity?
1: Healing would really look like, you know, that that sense of self expands to incorporate, you know, a wider self definition or acceptance of, you know, these different parts of ourselves, rather than you know shutting down all this stuff and you know blocking out anything that might be sensitive. That might be, you know, that doesn't need a violent response. And also seeing that, right, this urge for violence, you know, because, you know, men feel it and, you know, they don't act on it, but there's a real shame about it. And, you know, we see the split in, you know, just that outrage, then the real self loathing, you know, the outrage about not getting something they internally deeply want mm-hmm. than the shame and anger that goes against it it's just a spiral that you know doesn't always act turn out in violent behavior but emotionally abusive behavior definitely you know stalking definitely I just you know, ugly teaching mm-hmm. and it's the idea that all right masculine does not have to be this narrow thing. But it's really normalizing and explaining that this is a universal this threat we feel, this anxiety, which yeah, anxiety as a phrase gets thrown around so much. But it, it's yeah, you know, in that last book I had out, I just boiled it down to you know anxiety. Going back to that still face experiment, you know, it goes to you know, that childhood terror of are they the humans I depend on? Are they going to label me bad? Are they going to abandon me? And, and it's those terrors. that right, if we're able to see them and, and see, all right, they're powerful because we were hit with them when we're totally dependent on everything. And all right, we can we still, still feel it. That doesn't mean we're, you know, not men. That doesn't mean we're Weak or broken—it just means we're human. Yeah. Once someone starts accepting that and playing with those ideas, a lot of the urge for revenge it goes away.
0: Okay, um, I think that's a nice—that's a nice note to end on. So um, okay. we'll stop recording. But um, okay. yeah, um, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a good time. Yeah, All me right. too. Forever Dog.
1: This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.